This is Marching In, a brand new Southampton FC podcast hosted by me, Luke Innes, and Sam Apperton. Music is from the immensely talented Lawrence Norton. We would really appreciate a follow on Spotify and on Twitter, where you can find us at Marching In Pod. Welcome listeners to the first marching in of 2022. Happy New Year. Not sure if you're still allowed to say that, but we'll go with it given it's the first time chatting to all of you folk this year. I am joined by my co-host Sam. Evening Luke, how's it going? It's been a while. It has been a while. has been a while indeed. A lot to cover in in today's chat. Uh, how, How was your festive period? Yeah, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, pretty, pretty chilled. A bit of work mixed in with, with um, some nice family time. So, and a couple of trips to St Mary's. So, with the results we've had, it's been fairly positive. So, yeah, not, not too bad. Nice, mate. You're talking of work, your workplace, I think, broke the news first. RE takeover. Yeah, it was, was it Mark Kleiman from Sky News was all, was all over it. Mm. No, I mean, I've I've heard a couple of, like I've, I've heard Dan Sheldon say that a lot of the a lot of the press were briefed on the what day did it was it a, was it a Tuesday night it broke maybe a, a Tuesday it broke I think they briefed on the Monday night yeah the fourth it was the yeah fourth wasn't it so um yeah it was uh, just a bit of whirlwind well twenty four hours really wasn't it just all of a sudden came out of blue and there it was. It was announced. I'm sure I know we'll see a bit deeper later on, but yeah, it was a massive whirlwind. Had you had any kind of you know whiff of any news prior to that? Not at all. No, it was very much. I text up a mate and said, "Oh, you're getting taken over." Then me, my mate who does work work with me, said, "Are oh, you getting taken over?" I had no idea about it, and yeah, very nice surprise. Yeah, it was. It was It'd be a great week, actually. I guess kind of closed off with two decent results as well in the kind of seven days that followed, which we will tuck right into. Um, but given we haven't spoken, I think the running order for today will be a bit on the festive season. Deep dive kind of where relevant into the takeover because I know there's been quite a lot said on it in different outlets in the last, what, 10 days or so since we have been taken over. And then we're going to look at the last three matches starting with Swansea going to Brentford and then yesterday's game at Molyneux um but yeah I guess kind of the, the focus will be on the big news coming out of Saints given the, the takeover and then yesterday's match which after Tuesday's performance was I guess disappointing from a results aspect but we'll kind of yeah look at the performance in a bit more depth as well this podcast is supported by Peabury Coffee award-winning coffee based in Hampshire. Gerald and his team batch roast their coffee beans by hand and the host of this podcast is a big fan. Check them out today at peaberrycoffee.co.uk. That's absolutely right. Been buying Peaberry for around a year now and would never go back to anything else. The current beans on rotation are the Colombian kind, Finca El Mirador. And for listeners of the pod, we are going to be running some listener competitions where you can win a bag of beans, a bag of Gerald's finest, shall we say. Um, but yeah, big shout out to Gerald and all the work he's doing, supplying coffee up and down the country now. So yeah, great to support a local business in, in Hampshire and stay tuned for more. Let's start with that festive period then, Samuel. I guess we we kind of spoke going into what we felt would be a relatively tougher window of games. I mean, I, I'm kind of even thinking as far back as Palace away. We played West Ham away in that that festive period too and, and Spurs at home. I don't think I'm missing any fixtures there, but all in all pretty no, none decent. That ahead, none that went ahead. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and maybe we'll touch on the COVID situation uh, in a bit more depth, but... Yeah, kind of five points from those three games I've listed. All in all, relatively kind of surprising but decent return. 
yeah, I mean, there were three very tough games. I mean, I know he's got a relatively good record at Palace over the last few years, especially coming off the back of that Arsenal game where, I mean, it was just a bad day at the office for us. And we, were, we were well beaten. To go there, especially after conceding so early to go and get a point, was very good. And then, obviously, the Brentford game gets called off and you get a bit of extra time for the West Ham game. And going into that, you're sort of thinking, it's one of our worst places to go. Got a terrible record there. And, I mean, that win was just a massive... A, a massive surprise, and B, it was so, so important because it, all of a sudden you're looking up the table rather than down because you get a nice little cushion and also just a big boost for the whole team, really, to pick up a win at a place where we always do so badly and also bouncing back from from losing leads twice. Whereas then you go on to the Spurs game and, I mean, it was such a long time. It seems like it was such a long time ago now, but I just, I just seem to remember Salisa having a mad, a mad first half. It was seemed like he was trying to get sent off from the, from the first whistle. And uh, yeah, it was great character from from the team to, to to stay in that game and get a point. Because I think, I mean, look at the first half of that game, and we were much the better team. We could have been more than more than one goal up, and unfortunately. You sort of lose the opportunity to win the game as soon as Salisu sent off, and obviously the resulting penalty just puts us on the back foot. But yeah, it was um, it was really really good, and to open up open up such a gap in the bottom three as we have done now. I mean, we've obviously had more positive results since then, and yeah, it was just a really positive festive period. Really, I don't think any of us really saw coming. No, and I actually kind of want to talk quickly on the West Ham and, and Spurs fixtures together because they were so close together as fixtures. And I know Tom Leach and Dan Sheldon have done some quite interesting reporting on Ralph's plans for those two fixtures. I assume you kind of saw that it was laid out the the two teams that would play for both games, um, yeah. you know, ahead <laughs> of time, which sort of flies in the face of the cliche, we'll take each game as it comes. But I think it does show what many people kind of have maybe called Ralph out on before in terms of rigidity to a system, but some flexibility there and pretty creative thinking. And f- to get the two results that we did was, I think, excellent. And actually, you know, the team that we started that Spurs game with, pre the red card, we were just so good. And I've heard Spurs fans since comment on how excellent we were with, you know, what looks to be I mean, if it's even a championship level starting 11, maybe would be kind of fair to the players, Shane Long up top, et cetera. But like, it was a very good start to the game. And Salisu, he was on the edge pretty much all of that first half. And I think that was kind of something that we really wanted to do going into that game with a lot of energy, a lot of intensity. And kind of, you know, I'm skipping ahead a bit here, but I think after yesterday's game, it's worth a broader conversation about our our centre-backs and maybe just a, a level of um, erratic sort of behaviour at times, which can cost us. And yeah, that that was kind of that in, in full force. And it, I was thinking about Salisu's decision to take Sun down or at least go for the tackle. I know you're not always thinking that I'm going to take this guy down. I might well get the ball, but um, I can't actually remember the, the player that was sent off. I don't know if it's Kieran Clark or someone, but it was Newcastle Norwich very early yeah, in Kieran, the game. Kieran Clark, Kieran yeah. Clark, yeah. Yeah, and someone did a, a really interesting thing on Twitter that looks at effectively when is the right decision in a game to make that tackle and get sent off. And I think it's like 63 minutes in. So if you look at you know how many expected goals you could concede in the last 27 minutes or whatever, compared to you know going longer than that with 10 men, like it's just not worth it. And I think Ralph sort of you could sense his frustration at full time at Salisu for doing that because actually that if Sun scores there, it's 1-1, <laughs> but you have 11 men on the pitch. What happens is Kane scores the pen, you have 10 men on the pitch, and as you say, the chance to win it is gone. Yeah, if you look at it from a different angle, it's um, it's just instinct, isn't it? A player's form goal, yeah. defend the tackle. A lot of it comes down to instinct. I mean, as much as I want to have a go at Salisu for that, doing that, I'd rather, I mean, I'd have a go at it more for the way you approach the game in the first place. You just seem to be on one from on one from the from the first whistle, <laughs> trying, almost trying to get sent off. I mean, obviously he wasn't, but just from the, from being at the game, it just seemed like Christ, Salisu's just 
doing his best to really put us in a bad situation here. But yeah, it, it's just a lot of it comes down to instinct. Uh, it, and also, if, if, if what, what are the fans thinking? It just lets them through and score, and then nothing else is said. Yeah. Yeah, very true. You know, and I think I, actually, I, do, I, do, I do take the point of it. Yeah, Silesius, I mean, he's, he's kind of, I've been wholly impressed with him, you know, throughout the season. Of course, he may have the, those moments, but one of the things I think that makes him such a good centre-back is that he, if the ball is there to kind of be gone for, he will get it and he's a very strong tackler. And actually, you saw that a couple of days earlier than the Spurs game, I think, against um, West Ham, where, yeah, again, I think people commented post that game about how well he dealt with Antonio. Um, anything more to kind of note? I, I appreciate. I can't think of the kind of run that, that f- followed that in the Prem. Was it that the Newcastle game got postponed post Spurs? Is that right? Yeah. So because because there was chat because the, the, they were going to play Everton on the Thursday, weren't they? And there was an Eddie Howe. I mean, he was after that that the Man United game when Wilson and Sir Max were both. Well, obviously Wilson's a bit more serious injury because the match was back now, but it was straight on saying, I think it was in the post-match interview or press conference, and I would probably want them to play a game on Thursday. So alarm bells are immediately ringing for our games yeah. on the Sunday. Yeah, it just, I mean, I'm not going to, it's not completely singling out Newcastle. Obviously, that, that was the situation we were in. It's just, I mean, it was reared its head, obviously, this weekend with the North London derby. It's just all getting a bit out of hand. And I don't, to be honest, as much people have a go at the clubs, I don't really blame the clubs. I blame the Premier League. They've, they've allowed this to happen. They've allowed this to escalate. I mean, if you've got 10 COVID cases at a club and you can't feel the side, fair enough. Call it, call it off. But injuries are part and parcel of football. The African Cup of Nations, we've known about for God knows how long. It's just not an excuse. It shouldn't be taken into consideration, but the clubs have just been able, been able to get away with it because the Premier League have set these rules that are so they're almost quite they're quite loose, aren't they? They're just people they're, they're yeah. able to find loopholes. And I didn't it's know if you were able to dive into COVID just yet, but I, I'm unfortunately no. I'm let's do it. I think we can kind of spend a bit of time on off-field news, starting with COVID. And I mean, as you say, it's kind of pretty relevant given what's happened this weekend, and then we'll go into the takeover. But it is just just a, a joke. Uh, you know that that we are classing kind of injuries and things like Afcon within the Premier League rules to get a game postponed. And I know so much has been made online about our kind of the the squad that we fielded against United last season, etc. Uh, it, it doesn't doesn't kind of need reiterating that. But we're in a situation where I feel like the Premier League may have to review that. I mean, do you think do you think they're going to? They're getting so much shit right now. It's going to get out of hand because you're just going to run out. Of, when when are all these games going to get played? If, you keep, if they have this for another month, say, until AFCON's over, when are you going to fit all these games in? It's just going to be up. I mean, Burnley put what, three, four games in hand now? This is mad. Yeah, yeah. And Leicester, similar. I mean, it's just, it, like you say, it's, it's going to become a real, real problem. And they've, they've, they've just sort of backed themselves into a corner. And the issue is, when you kind of announce that as a ruling and then it affects so many games, to now reverse that decision does seem like a pretty extreme injustice, I guess, for, for those future fixtures to come and when teams have been able to get them postponed. Yeah, I know we've had all the chat about Ralph and other managers saying that new signings should be allowed to play and rearrange fixtures. I mean, it's just not going to happen. I mean, because otherwise it, it, it just won't happen. I mean, as much as I think that Newcastle are sort of playing the playing the game a bit and having it so they can probably have a stronger squad for when they do when we do play them in whenever the game whenever the game is played. Again, the rules just aren't going to be changed for it. Maybe maybe mid-season in in pre-season they might, but it's never going to, never going to happen mid-season where they completely reshuffle their rules just because clubs are take, taking the piss, yeah. To be honest, it will be interesting to know. Well, we'll, we'll see what lineup. Newcastle put out against us in that fixture compared to what we may well have faced <laughs> a couple of weeks back. Right now, the, the I guess the 
I mean, I'm thinking about, uh, are we calling kind of Chris Wood an upgrade on, on Callum Wilson or, or St. Max, who's played up top? I, I, I don't know, but obviously Tripper at fullback. But there's a lot of, uh, it seems like a lot of animosity between Saints and Newcastle fans on uh, on Twitter right now. Yeah, people just need to just chill out a bit, don't they? I mean, Newcastle fans, I mean, it's, it's they're going to be the, the most hated team in the league soon, aren't they, to be honest? I, I know so you've got your usual Man United and people like that, but the people are going to start disliking them it's just gonna it's just gonna happen i mean i'm i'm not too fast by it they, they, they better take over good luck to them but yeah yeah it's um yeah. Eddie, it's not it's not a great look but the premier league have allowed it to happen yes yeah agreed we will not kind of turn this into a rant on postponements because i think most football fans feel the same on on yeah. all of that we will however turn our attention to the takeover sam mm. Solax Serbian Saints go marching in. We uh, we have got new ownership, which I mean, we, we I guess we've sort of avoided talking about it, given it's been a I don't know a bit of an on, ongoing story for two three years since Gal's taken over, and and the likelihood is that we were going to be bought. What are your kind of feelings towards who has bought us, and maybe what it will mean for? The, the kind of coming few years under new ownership? Well, it's it's an interesting one because it's never going to be a Newcastle situation where we're going to be able to chuck money at, chuck money at things now. We, we'll, I think we'll obviously sort of carry on in a similar vein to what we are now, to so probably be able to compete a bit more than we have been. I mean, we've sort of been shopping in the bargain bin for a while. Maybe, we'll be, maybe this will sort of take us to the next level and Maybe we can start looking to compete with with clubs like Everton, like Leicester, maybe for certain players, and, and try and push on. I mean, we're still going to sell our best players. Will still leave at some point. I mean, such word won't be anytime soon in terms of players like Wall Prowse, Livermore, etc. But at some point, we are going to sell sell top players for top dollar again, which is better than we have been in recent. Obviously, I think the last. Obviously, big sale we probably had was, was Van Dyke. But, I mean, obviously, I, mean, I know Ings was 30 million quid, but in, terms, but in terms of proper big money, it was Van Dyke a few years ago. And obviously, we wasted quite a lot of money. Which is, I mean, that's, that's, another, that's another conversation. But in terms, of the sport, in terms of the sport republic, it seems like they want to do things the right way. They want to do things a similar way to what we've been doing, but better, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I was really happy kind of reading a lot of the reports on it. And, you know, we very interestingly, and I, I kind of posted this out on our on our Twitter channel around, we had the, the last pub we did was talking to Jay Harris about the Brentford model and a little bit on Rasmus Ankerson moving, you know, not that we knew at the time, but that move was to join Sport no, we didn't. Republic. Just, just, and... say, just, just say we knew, it's fine. Just say we knew. <laughs> uh, and... And, you know, I guess embark on this this model of where they want to have, you know, multiple clubs within within that network. And we are we are the first within it. But I must admit, you know, for kind of, again, another athletic piece, but there are a lot of people that were interested in buying Saints. And, and I think kudos to Gao and maybe those advising him that he resisted that because... You know, it was easy for him, I'm sure, to kind of take money to probably less than satisfactory ownership at some point. But it does feel like we've held out for ownership that is very much going to work for us. And again, you're completely right. It is uh, kind of evolution, not revolution, I guess, is the, the cliche that's getting thrown around. But putting us on a much better footing financially. And I think in terms of knowing that the club is going to be run a certain way with the likes of Rasmus Ankerson and, and Henrik Kraft involved. I think that's a really interesting proposition. Um, I, I'm, I'm just, I think the, the vast majority of Saints fans are really happy with this. And so we should be like, it's kind of a, a new era and one that we don't kind of have that lingering thing of shit. We could get bought by, you know, someone awful, you know, <laughs> or a similar ownership to what we've had. Um, you know, in, in the last few years where we've just seen no investment. Um, 
or, or we could plummet financially. And I think that's the that's the kind of really positive thing. Like we've, we've been bought by what seems to be a really solid, credible group of people. I just hope now that we can invest a little bit more in, in the playing staff, but you're completely right. We'll undoubtedly have to still sell our best players. That's the sort of club that we are. Um, and I think Ralph has even said as much, you know, the, the new ownership isn't going to mean that we don't sell our best players. And, and unfortunately, that's the kind of model within which we we exist as a football team. But, you know, the, the, the rumours, and I think it kind of makes sense to maybe pivot into a little bit on the transfer window in a sec. But the rumours now that we we may well be going, you know, for Broger and, and Dean Henderson and kind of other relatively solid names, I, I think does prove that perhaps we have turned a bit of a corner in what we can invest. Yeah, and a lot of credit has to go to Martin Simmons and Toby Steele as well. I mean, I've been quite impressed with them over the last... I mean, I'm trying to think actually how long they've sort of been in front and centre, really. But obviously, before then, we had the, the sound bites and the, almost the gobbledygook of Ralph Kruger that, I mean, I, I struggled to listen to him for more than a minute, to be honest. He just came out with so much <laughs> nonsense that, I mean, obviously, he, he meant well, but I just I struggled to listen to him. He was just really, didn't grab my attention at all. But no, Simmons, is also, Simmons and Steele have both had the, it's clear the best interests of the club, but at heart and that's sort of um, testament to them as they've obviously been a big part of this this takeover and obviously they've been kept on at the club as well which is a positive but the fact they've not let any sort of charlatan or someone like that I mean as you said about the piece of Dan Sheldon there were so many people that were interested in quite I think there was a was it a fake billionaire was was interested so it all sounds very <laughs> Portsmouth, Portsmouth 2009 for me but yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, full exist. credit to them for getting full credit to them for getting the right. Well, obviously, there's a, obviously there's still, there's still a sense of not knowing what's what's going to happen with this, but all all signs so far are positive, and yeah, credit's got to go to them for that as well because you can't give it to anyone, but they waited for the right people, and it's been a bit, the takeover's been an elephant in the room for as you said the best part of two three years now. And it's good to A, finally get out of the way and B, hopefully got it out of the way because we've got the right people in. Yes. And I think you're completely right on Martin Simmons. And he continues to impress me. And, you know, interviews he's given in pretty much the, the whole of his period with the club. I think he's always relatively open and you I don't know. I think you are occasionally a bit suspicious of someone who speaks so well and, and uh, can give a good answer to every question, but he does seem like a very smooth operator. And I think the fact that he is being kept on, and I know there's kind of a bit of a separation between the ownership group and the day-to-day running of the, the club, which will continue um, according to reports that I've read. So it's not necessarily like, you know, it would be kind of immediate change if Martin Simmons wasn't rated, but I, I get the feeling he will be. Um, kept on and I think even last summer there were some links you know it was kind of bizarre to talk about someone like Simmons being linked to to bigger teams but I know there there were uh, clubs interested in him I think United was also linked as a club that had you know been impressed by what he'd done and obviously you know that there are kind of meetings between the leadership at, at clubs when it comes to things like COVID rulings or Premier League rulings that that these people will, will mingle and interact so I, I think his stock is is pretty high um, just on the kind of financial construction of it all, we obviously took out that relatively sizable loan during COVID. My understanding is that that kind of won't be um, paid back initially. There are penalties in place to kind of prevent, you know, us us doing that. And yeah, I think Dan Sheldon articulated this pretty well on different podcasts that he was on, but rich people don't mind debt and actually, you know, investing money that you could, kind of put into the club rather than just paying off debt is probably uh, their, their preference. So they'd pro- probably rather invest within the club initially rather than just cover debt. So I, I think that there's just many things that are starting to make sense about the structure of the deal. Um, and obviously in Dragon Solak, he was there on Tuesday night. It was great to see him there because sort of sometimes think maybe the money man won't be front and centre of, um, you know, uh, club uh, matches, etc. But just great to see him there. And I think all of his uh, money seems well accounted for, which, as you say, when you come to look at things like fake billionaires and 
people that don't exist down the road coming to buy clubs like it's yeah it just is a little bit um reassuring that we have someone like that with with money who's willing to invest and partner with people like Rasmus and, and Henrik Kraft um we'll touch on the transfer window a lot of conversation around Broger across the last three four days and even to the point that the club released a statement, didn't they? Where with kind of quotes from Hassan Hoot all saying, look, we know there's a lot of speculation around Broger at the minute. You know, this is uh, the manager's thoughts, etc. Like, yeah, what, what do you think? Not that I'm expecting you to get this right, Sam, but what do you think is going to happen here? What's your gut feel? I think it's all been a bit, I think it's all a bit easier just because of how well he's been playing the last few weeks because people just need to take a bit of a step back and sort of think he is going to be on loan with us until the end of the season. I realise he's going to get publicity because he's playing so well. I, th- I think a lot a lot of this publicity is to do with Lukaku's struggles at the moment at Chelsea, where that Chelsea fans are looking at Brozier and thinking he's doing so well for them. Why why are we not why is he not here when when not when our um excuse me record signings playing is playing so poorly. So I think he's going to be with us at the end of the season. I think it's going to be people just review it then, to be honest. I mean, as much as I'd love, I mean, if, if Saints come out tomorrow and announce we've signed Amano Brogia for a four year contract and such and such amount of money, it'd be brilliant news. But as it stands, it's sort of we've gotten this in the season. He's been he's been excellent as long as he can keep churning out really good performances and scoring goals. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a win win for everyone, really. I mean, if he does go back to Chelsea and tries to impress, then I don't see why he can't do well there. But it may get to a point where they look at him and think, we've got this um, arrangement in place for Livermento. Where, I mean, hopefully, I mean, obviously, we hope he doesn't go back to Chelsea. But do we do a similar thing with Broch and just get him, get him to go to Southampton and play every game in the Premier League? And if he does that well, have a, have a buyback on him and do, do the same thing again. But also, as you, as people have said, there's going to be other play, people sniffing around him in the summer. It just depends where he wants to be and what Chelsea want to do, really. I think we just, just enjoy him just enjoy him for the rest of the season, to, to be honest. Football fans can be quite needy, can't they? You know, like, oh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm enjoying this guy at our club. I need to know kind of his future and I need to know if he'll be our player longer term. Actually, sort of, yeah, enjoy the present somewhat. We've got an excellent young footballer who is very exciting as a striker and kind of unlike strikers that, that I, I can't really compare him to people. Like people have started comparing to Pelle. Like he feels to me like a very different forward to Graziano Pelle ever was. It's just like his height, right? Like he he's explosive. He, he goes past people. He's very comfortable with the ball at his feet got that kind of pace that I feel like we've we've lacked actually um it was, kind of in, it was interesting with him in the West Ham games to go back to it when he won that penalty and burst through and how out muscled their defenders it was almost I thought that's what they do to us that's what West Ham do to us every season yeah. with Antonio their strike with ha- even Haller in the past they bully us they with pace and power we've done we just flipped, flipped it around done that today but obviously won a penalty and scored so it was just really great to see us do flip it around and do that to a club that's done that to us for so many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I just feel like, I, I still feel like we need to be patient with Adam Armstrong and, you know, my feelings towards Shea Adams and, uh, you know, I, I feel like actually, you know, it's just really kind of wise in terms of how we reinvested some of that money with it, with Danny Ings. I appreciate Brozier's on loan. You know, I assume the kind of wage structure there is that we're paying the majority of that, if not all of it. Um, but but kind of to invest in those two two forwards, I feel like we've got a really nice blend of options as a as a front three now, of which f- for me, as it stands, Armando Broger is the best of the three, and we can't really leave him out. Um, but you know, you hope that come the end of the season or start of next season, we find a, a solution to that situation, whether it's that, you know, Ralph or whoever's in charge has confidence in in Armstrong and Adams, then great. But that hopefully will be a byproduct of them performing at a level, which means we don't need to go and sign Armando Brodrell or someone else. I think it makes sense to very quickly touch on the keeper situation, which no doubt, given 
yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to have like a knee-jerk reaction to what happened yesterday, but I, I feel like, and we've spoken about the, the goalkeeping situation many a time, that it does need to be addressed. Dean Henderson, a rumoured to have stormed out of training this week. Uh, yeah, kind of what what do you think will happen here? Do you think we're going to invest? I mean, we obviously extended Caballero's deal, but yeah, what do you think we should do around this this window, if anything? Oh, the goalkeeper situation. <laughs> been here a few, <laughs> I think we've been here a few times already this season. Um, <laughs> I just find it quite funny that a player might have stormed out of May United train to try and join Southampton. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's again another elephant in the room. I mean, this, this room is just full of elephants. And uh, yeah, it's been a problem for a while. We've not been able to nail it down with the goalkeeper situation. I mean, we'll get we'll touch on tomorrow, yesterday's game in a bit. A force to a sort of left in no man's land. One of the weirdest, I think it's just a weird goal to concede with. I don't, I don't know what he was doing. We always and, seem um, to concede goals, goals like that, Sam. Do you not think? Like, just suddenly you, you sort of reflect on it and you're like, yeah, that is just bizarre. Like, happened, someone's happened, done well, something term, weird. In, I mean, do you mean in terms of the goal, just in terms of general, just in terms of the goalkeepers? <laughs> I mean, it normally it, there's normally something the goalkeeper's done that's a bit odd, and you're like, I don't think a really good goalkeeper does that, or we concede if we've got a good goalkeeper in, in there. But it, it's also defended us something a bit weird, you know. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe every club feels like this, but I just feel like those sort of goals, we, we do like, even the third one. I mean, look, I don't, I don't want to go into too much detail on the Wolves game because we'll do it, but just like odd yesterday, Traore's goal. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you carry on. Yeah, it's a funny one, Henderson. I mean, obviously, he's been very highly rated. Never sort of, I mean, I think it was the start of last season when he came back from Sheffield United. Everyone thought, oh, this is going to be his chance. Is he going to def- almost dethrone De Gea at United and, and take his place? But then it just sort of ha- hasn't happened for him. That's obviously part of De Gea's return to somewhere close to his best. And also, I saw a couple of, I was me a couple of times last week. I saw Henderson just didn't look that great for United. I mean, probably a, a byproduct of the fact that he's not playing week in, week out like he was for Sheffield United for the best part. Was it a couple of scenes he was alone there? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember a goal it was against Liverpool when Salah, Salah. scored a goal last season. Yeah. And it just looked really weird. The way Henderson just let the, just almost let the whole, almost let the, left the whole goal open for him. Mate. It would still be a massive upgrade in what we've got. I mean, it, Force is clearly going to go at the end of the season, which I find, which I find odd that if Forster is going at the end of the season and McCarthy, I mean, there's this mysterious new deal that McCarthy's apparently signed, which has never been announced. Same with Jack Stevens, never been announced. <laughs> but apparently, it's, apparently it's happened. If, if McCarthy is staying for another three years and he is fully fit now, why is he not coming back into the team for Forster? As much as I think mm. Wolves is probably a better goalkeeper on his day than McCarthy, if McCarthy's staying at the club and Forster isn't, and you've also got Caballero, why is McCarthy straight back into the team? As much as I don't rate McCarthy highly at all, it seems a bit odd to me. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be, it needs addressing. It needs someone who's going to be our number one for the next three, four years, like we did when we signed for us. I mean, obviously, circumstances changed and he lost his place, but that was the point when we bought him for <clears throat> 10 million from Celtic in 2014. It needs to, it needs to be addressed and it needs, looking, it needs to be done in the summer. If I, I don't think it happened in January. That. The goal, goalkeeping situation is a weird one. Uh, you know, uh, it's sort of like Ralph wants to... Sort of, keep the peace a bit and, and and keep everyone happy when actually, you know, it's a very familiar setup at many clubs where you just have one goalkeeper that doesn't get many minutes, maybe in the cup. And actually the the situation we've sort of let manifest over the last 18 months is just, I, I don't think conducive to, yeah, a, a kind of really solid um, situation. And Henderson, you're, you're completely right on the Salagar. I was thinking of that as you were talking through it. There were some memes that were made that like shrunk him even further. So he just looked absolutely tiny in net. And uh, yeah, very funny. But he basically just presented the the whole of the goal to, to Salah. Um, and yeah, I, I, as I said, goal, goalkeeping situation, I think, is just a, a strange one at some clubs. I actually heard 
Ben Foster talking about um, he's good friends with Scott Carson. Obviously, Scott Carson's been at City for a long, long time. Him and Edison are like they're just there's a huge bromance that's going on between Scott Carson and Edison. And like they they sit together, they like room together. Like Edison just loves him as in in, in awe of him. Uh, it's just something about that setup with goalkeepers that is a very interesting one. And no others have talked talked about the kind of certain psyche of, of goalkeepers that you need to make it. But yeah, uh, there's there's just something peculiar about our setup. There normally is something peculiar with most goalkeeping setups, but we do need to address it. And whether it's Henderson or someone else, you know, I think we need a new new no- number one because yeah, yeah. <laughs> Willie Caballero, again, now we've added someone else in the mix who's just probably there to add experience before he moves into coaching, but he didn't really look up to it in the couple of games he did play for us. And it was good to have Forster back, um, albeit what happened yesterday, yeah, kind of slightly concerning, I think. I mean, Edison's in all of Scott Carson. I can show him a video of England, England against Croatia in 2007 very soon. Won't be in all of it. <laughs> As a person, Sam, as a person, yeah. We will, I guess we'll kind of touch on Swansea game. We'll go into Brentford a little bit and we will talk, uh, yeah, your day out at Molyneux and disappointing result. <laughs> cool. So the Swans game, I mean, I was watching this on BBC Wales. I don't know if you were doing the same. Uh, SD, BBC Wales SD, yeah. Is it the, yeah, the SD, much SD, very much SD. <laughs> very much SD. Sort of bizarre uh, commentary and punditry team, <laughs> which I think many have spoken about. Um, we, we were kind of bossing that game and then sort of you feel like you're getting somewhere with Jan Valery and we didn't comment on his performance against Spurs, but he played as a right-sided centre-back for the majority of the game and, and fair play to the guy, put in a hell of a shift and a pretty decent performance, but um, get sent off. The game completely changes. It just felt really good to come away with progression. I mean, when they go two and up and, and again, like the fucking the, the editing team or whoever was putting together the cameras at, at BBC Wales, it kind of cuts to Elianusi putting the ball in the net and it's sort of like, is this a bit weird? Like obviously no fans. The whole game was slightly strange on the whole. And for a lot of, I guess, moments and events in a game, it was, was quite a shit game. <laughs> for 120 minutes, for a 3-2 win from down to 10 men, you know, come back in extra time, Shane Long winner. There was a lot of great stuff to talk about, but probably not worth going over in too much detail. Anything to add to that? Shane Long scored. That's that's what more do you need? It was, uh, I think, this is his first Saints goal since before COVID. So that's uh, nice for him. I think his last goal was Wall Villa. Oh no, Walls or Villa? Yeah, he scored. He scored of his dick, didn't he? Hit, hit, hit him in the, yeah. Was that Walls? In, um, in, in the Never No, it was Villa. It was the same Villa. game which Stuart Armstrong scored the empty net. Yeah. Yes. 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 Strolling back to the to the penalty area. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've spoken uh, about that goal before in the pod, Sam. We like it. <laughs> I did like that goal. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good to progress on that game. Obviously, Valerie sort of showed himself up to be another. He, he is. He is a liability. He did. He did well against Spurs. I think it also very much helped the baby three, where he literally had help left, right, centre. He had. Um, he had a solid, solid game that day, but he just his positioning is so bad for a full back. He just it's exactly the same. Almost exactly the same red card he had against Leicester about three years ago, early on in Ralph's tenure, where um, I think he got he pulled back. I think he pulled back and Chilwell a couple mm. of times, and uh, and off he went. And we actually we won that game as well, and Shane Long scored. So I think Shane Long will be take Valerie <laughs> every every day of the week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually saw highlights of that game. What was it? Warprow's pen. And then Shane Long, I think Adam Blackmore on commentary says something like, he's, he's basically just absolute. Yeah, yeah, he says exactly that. Um, yeah, well, look, hell, yeah, hell of a win. Um, so, so good to see Shane Long in the score sheet. I did not think in 2022, um, yeah, he would be kind of winning us our first competitive game of football, as it were. Um, yeah, so. We, we move into the cup. We play Coventry next round. Winnable game. 
they're going okay in the championship. That should be a decent game. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have a, almost a 10-year anniversary of the last time we played them, which is quite a memorable day. We obviously, the day we got promoted. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a decent game. Obviously, I'm not sure they would... It's, it's one where probably both sets of teams look at, looking at the draw and want quite an exciting game. Neither team probably got that. I doubt Coventry are that excited to be playing us, to be honest. But, I mean, it's quite an interesting matchup because it's almost a bit of a sliding doors moment with Saints and Coventry when the CSU take over a few years ago. Obviously, mm. they were very interested in buying us. And then before before Marcus Lieber took, took over Saints, it ended up at Coventry and they were just a terrible, terrible owners for them. And obviously, we got very lucky with Marcus. It was almost, as I said, a sliding doors moment there. Similar size club to us, similar stadium. Obviously, they've, they've, had, they've fallen on hard times the last few years, whereas we've gone, gone, gone from strength to strength. Yeah, it'll be a decent game. Mark Morgan's got them playing very, very well. So, obviously, we expect to go through, but it won't, won't be easy. Yeah. It's got a bit of sort of Premier League years vibes about... This, yeah. this fixture, I don't know. I've got a bit of affinity with Coventry, something I quite like about them. Uh, so wish them well, but do not wish them progression in the FA Cup. We will fast forward um, kind of a few days on from that fixture to the home game versus Brentford. We finally scored more than twice, yeah, at, at home. It feels like it's been a while. Was it the first time we scored four at home since 2017 or something? Yeah, is that, is that beat, right? Everton, beat Everton 4-1 under Pellegrini. Yeah. Yeah, just, uh, like, just uh, felt like a very good statement win and a game that I feel like we were in control of, but that there kind of were some, some shakier moments, but I felt like the, the win was thoroughly deserved. I think you, we messaged each other just saying that sort of result has been coming for some time. Great to like actually put our chances away and be clinical. So, yeah, as, as we both said, it's been coming for a while. And I mean, you could probably name three or four games a season. Villa at home, Leeds at home, Burnley at home. We missed, missed so many chances. Should have either won the game or won by more. Watford away stands out for me and, and Norwich, to be honest, where we ended up losing. We were just having taken the chances that we that, that were presented to us that we should, should have scored. Was this? I don't think we had that many. I don't think we had that many shots, really, that many chances, and we scored four goals. It was um, clinical performance. It was. I mean, obviously they they equalised and they came back to one one, but I never saw sort of thought they were that ever really threatening us too much. Obviously, obviously you look at. I mean, Ivan Tony's obviously struggled, struggled a little bit recently in the league. It's quite impressive in Buemo. I know he missed a chance near the end, but. He looked pretty like Brentford's most dangerous player. And um, yeah, it was just nice to have a home game where we're winning and we're not worried in the last 10 minutes that we're going to concede and and, and lose the lead, which is, which is very, very... I've said nice. exactly the same thing, didn't he? He just, you know, I, I kind of, I think we've touched on this before, but I feel for him sometimes. Like we don't ever make it easy on him. If we're winning, it's, it's by one goal and he, he looks so stressed. If we're, you know, not winning, then it's very tight. <laughs> and he again looks so stressed. I think, yeah, I think he he said he joked it will save him a few grey hairs if we continue, you know, with performances like that. Um, I guess our system was slightly different, and we kept that same system in yesterday's game. Um, with Teller at right wing back and and Perot, who was very high, um, against Brentford and and pretty high yesterday too uh, I appreciate it didn't work out so well yesterday but I thought Diallo Romeo and Ward Prowse Ward Prowse and Diallo in particular against Brentford were exceptional I think we're starting to see a bit of a player coming through with with Diallo now um, I appreciate he didn't get his his goal which is a bit of a frustrating one but him and Ward Prowse and and, and Ward Prowse are, a lot's been made of you know his kind of lung busting run to deny uh, I think it was Visser close to the end of the the, the match yeah. 82nd minute just put in a hell of a shift I know he had to revert to, to right right wing back but I think it could have been his best performance of the season for us best performance maybe even in a Saints shirt he seems to be finding new levels with 
what he's not just doing from set pieces now is on the ball sort of value to us and his ability to thread balls between the lines and get that ball into Broja and Redmond on, on Tuesday night was, was excellent. And I just thought reflecting on this, maybe kind of, I don't know, underappreciated how much he's developed as a player in the last 12 months. Yeah, he was outstanding. I mean, it's just almost like he's, he started the season slowly. I mean, it was, I think it was a combination of things. I remember hearing he had a bit of illness at the start of the season, but he was still playing. Obviously, his, then he sort of had it curtailed a bit with his free game ban. There's other, other, maybe other factors. The team weren't quite gelling, but the last month, month, month and a half, two months, he's been outstanding. Since the red card. Yeah, since the red card, especially remember the Villa game at home, he was outstanding as well. And um, yeah, he's really come on. Obviously, I'm sure we'll get we'll get onto it in a bit about yesterday's goal. Which I'm looking forward to that. And uh, just in terms, <laughs> in terms of the general play, he's just been outstanding. I mean, I was so impressed. I mean, with that with that last ditch tackle as you mentioned, and just he just ran the game, which we've been crying out for for him for so long, and now he's really put that string. Adding that string to his bow, where he can completely um, run games, really, and it's great to see. And he's just setting a great example to the rest of the team, who seem to who seem to drag them, drag them along with him. I think we've kind of summarised that that game very nicely. Our third goal, by the way, I don't think has been kind of quite, uh, yeah, maybe appreciated for kind of the build up to that and Romeo's through ball to Broja. Like we we get out of kind of defensive transition into attacking so quickly with a few quick passes. Romeo sends Broja away. And again, you know, we've obviously spoken about how good he's been for us, but there does feel like that inevitability when he gets through on goal that, you know, the finish will be decent. I'm thinking about some of the goals he's already scored this season, including the one at Burnley, which I saw again recently, just he does have that knack, it feels like, for for scoring when he's in those areas. We will talk about yesterday's disappointing result. And you were there, Sam. We're naturally going to talk about, you know, many things within the game. Maybe spend the last section of the pod just on this now. Um, You can kind of give me your overview. But I also want you to to talk me through how, how you see that free kick and where it ranks in terms of potentially all-time greatest Premier League free kicks. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the game, it was, um, I mean, I'll get onto the Warpower's free kick, but like, obviously chronological order-wise. I'll never love um, Never change a winning team because I always think it's horses for courses. You need to you need to adapt to the opposition you're playing against. Wolves play a lot of their have a lot of their play through their through their wing backs, obviously through through Samedo and um and in terms of not having a natural right right wing back yesterday for us when, when we're playing a three, I just don't think it worked at all. I remember Ralph saying that Walker Peters probably wasn't ready to play yesterday. So I'm not sure why he was on the bench if he is ready. I know obviously in terms of having a small squad and um, players out already. Just to come in on that, made- Sam, sorry. Just to come in on that, I, f- I found that bizarre. Like I, I was, I was kind of thinking through the lineup in my head. We'd had KWP pictured in training, I think maybe two days in a row, pre the game. Like I, I just was so sure. You know, he's one of our most consistent performers, and you know, Wolves are a decent side. I was really surprised to see that unchanged, and I actually thought that he could probably be more effective as a right wing back than he is as a right back. I know that's not always the case. You know, you kind of push someone further forward, but I was really surprised to see Teller there. And I, I, you know, my feeling is that Teller struggled. Yeah, he didn't have any impact on the game at all. I can't really remember anything he did in the game, to be honest. And Mr. Sitter. Yeah, we just, he did. Was it, it was given offside though, was it? I mean, was it? Wasn't. Was it, was it, was it, it, it was given it offside. It but it wasn't offside. Okay. So yeah. Did, yeah. Did he... Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I saw it back and the line raises his flag, but if he scores then it goes to be, oh, it's a goal. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, just, just a strange one. I mean, as much as we played well on the Tuesday, I thought you sort of look at the Wolves game. It's a very, very tough away game. We've got quite a poor record there over the last few years. And, um, they've just been a very good side. This is nothing. They probably, I thought they'd struggle after, um, after new after Nuno left in the summer and Bruno Large came in, but they arguably been even better. I mean, 
Mm. I think yesterday probably one of the one of the only times they've managed to score more than once in the past few months. But um, I was impressive, especially with players like I know Neves is missing and they had a Davidson playing as well, didn't they? But no, they they were a good side and I mean the penalty probably could have gone either way. I think there was a shout for us having one. I mean the kick on Romeo some didn't even get didn't really get looked at, did it? I mean I'm not sure if it was a penalty. I mean it would have been quite a soft the one. Thing, I guess let's let's kind of pause on the penalty decisions with with theirs, and I, I, I think theirs was a was a penalty. I think you know, but Bednarek fouls him. My issue is it is a penalty, but is it clear and obvious in terms of actually overturning the on-field decision, which they've seemed to have made quite a big thing of this season? Where look, you know, <laughs> maybe the referee should have given a different decision, but there's not enough in it. To actually overturn that call, they looked at it. it took, for, I mean, it took, ages. There, it took ages. Yeah, it just felt like such a long time. And I mean, as soon as as soon as the rest, even before, I know people say, "Oh, we'll go to the screen and it's going to get it goes overturned." Which is yeah, there's no point happens, in the screen anymore, the is there? Like, what's the point in the screen now? <laughs> it, I love it. I mean, it's never going to happen. Whatever. I love hear the conversation. We go to the screen. Is it? Is it the ref? Is it the VAR guy saying you should change your decision? What do you have a look anyway? Is that basically mm. what they're saying? Um, yeah, as soon as it starts taking a while with a decision in the ground, you know it's um, you know you're in a bit of trouble. And I mean, Forster probably couldn't have made the Jimenez's penalty any easier for him. He sort of he seemed to dive out of the way before before he even hit him. <laughs> Just laid Jimenez, down Jimenez. to the side. I mean, there's always scores against us anyway, Jimenez. So it wasn't, it wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and quickly on the Romeo first. One. Sorry, Sam. Just on the Romeo one. No, you, you, you say, oh, Wolves' first penalty. You're right. If that was you were going to say, that what you're going I think it was their first penalty since we played them at St Mary's last season. Might be worth checking, but yeah. it was their first one since we last played them. Ne- never scored. Yeah, that one. Uh, what was going to say? Romeo's one. You've seen them given. You have seen them given. And I think Ralph was more incensed than the players. And that that for me was a bit of a bizarre one where actually maybe if the players make a bit more of a thing of it, like, you know, Moutinho was in the ref's face as soon as what happened with Bednarek, you know, the Bednarek incident occurred. Could we have made a bit more of it? And I think that, I don't know, occasionally we can be a bit naive in those situations. And I think we've certainly got... A little too nice, a little too nice to referees. Yeah. I, I would have just gone mental. Like, you know, when you take a touch and, the, the other player's gone to kick it, but kicks you. Like, it, it, it is a foul, but it harsh, harsh to give, but probably is a foul. I just don't think we made enough of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes I just, I don't know if that will have any influence on the VAR. But yeah, just maybe, maybe be a bit more savvy, but is all it is. I, I, I'm not screaming. I'm not honest. I'm not that bothered. It wasn't given as a penalty, but I've seen, as you said, seen them given. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I guess we we go in at, at you know half time one nil down, but uh, I've touched on the teller chance, and yeah, obviously it turns out that it's onside. Salisi misses and a relatively big header, which I don't know if it falls to maybe a Broja or or kind of someone who's used to being in those situations. Maybe they do head it down and make it a bit tough tougher for for Jose Sar, who is proving to be a really good goalkeeper in the Premier League. But that that seems to be a really big big chance, you know. Those two combined, as we go into half time, um, you know, in, in, in a tough situation, we change the system, don't we, at, at half time? But it's again not Walker Peters that comes on. We we shift Bednarek to right back, and Adams comes on for Diallo. Is that that's the switch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Didn't really get the Bednarek. I know he set up, he set up the goal, but it's don't get the whole. Bednarek right back thing. I mean, I barely get the, I barely understand the Bednarek centre back thing, but <laughs> I don't really get the. Uh... Well, I, I said oh, yeah. I said that we might talk said that we might talk about this because I don't know. Like Lianco, I think has his has his qualities, and Ralph's come out and sort of praised him and his development. But I feel like we have three centre backs that are are actually a bit of a liability. Like if you look at the three of them in the cold light of day. All three of them, I feel, have a clangor in them. Bednarek is erratic with the challenge. Salisi, we kind of touched on, you know, him being on the edge at times. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I never feel so comfortable with any of them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's, that's me being harsh, but 
I, I don't know if, if Jack Stevens is even better than the three of them, but I was reflecting a little bit on this. Like, I think if you pair Salisu with, you know, I appreciate it. We're, not, we're not competing with, with the quality of player that like a Verge is, but you think about how calm Verge is and was on the ball when he was at, at ours and even Jose Font to some extent, like a centre-back that has really good level of experience, doesn't do silly things, doesn't always dive in. I think if you pair him with, with a centre-back, you know, of better quality, we have a really good back two. But as it stands, the three of them, I'm just always a bit concerned that something will, will bad will happen. Yeah, I think Salish is probably a level up is a level up from the other three. But as you said, he's always going to be paired with one of the others, or even with, with two of them, as yesterday was the case. And um I find it quite hard for it's gonna be hard for Salisu to try and be his uh, measured and almost um, dominant because he's having to worry about what the other guys are gonna do. And Benderak's had a ricket ricket in him for a while. Leandro just looks. I mean, at times it looks okay, but just just weird things, and you always think he's going to dive in or do something very, very bizarre. Stevens has had it in him since he came into the team in 2017. If we, yeah, I, I mean, I, as much as I'd love us to go out and get a top, a top class defender to play next to Salisu, it's going to be a struggle. But that's, that's been the case for, for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I guess we're going in order before we get to the moment that I feel like we want to talk about most. But the <laughs> the, the Cody goal, there's the one that's ruled out for offside, which is offside. And then Cody um, eventually gets his goal. What I mean, we've touched on it, but Fraser is just completely in no man's land. I think it's Kilman that heads it over him. Just a, just a joke of a goal to concede. It's, uh, just so frustrating. Because, you know, I appreciate we do get back in it, but it feels like the game's dead at that point through through a real kind of mix-up and Fraser almost losing his head a little. Yeah, it just looked weird from where I was. It even weirder on the TV when I saw it later on. And I think it was Connor Cody's first ever goal at Molyneux, first league goal at Molyneux. Which, I mean, step if, if you haven't scored a goal somewhere, I haven't scored for a while, step right up as the third goal for the goal, Troy Roy. We'll let, we'll let he, you have it. Yeah. He didn't even, he didn't even, uh, he didn't even used to go up for, for, for corners and stuff, did he? I think his heat map sometimes, yeah. he literally wouldn't cross the halfway line. Um, on the Adama Troy goal, I was watching it, not really know, I knew Troy scored because I watched the game back today, actually. And the chance he had before, I was like, okay, here's the goal that he scores, that he smashes in. We gave him one sniff that he blazes over like a yeah. bit of a joke. And then we ultimately do do let him through. Um, Sam, we've been talking far <laughs> too long and we've, we, we've kind of flirted with it. But it's just how it. good. Yeah, we, we've danced around it. Just how good was that free kick? I'll be honest. I feel a little bit shortchanged. Because I probably witnessed one of the best goal, one of the best free kicks in Premier League history live at Molyneux yesterday. I didn't, I didn't, when it went in, I didn't think it was, I didn't realize how good it was. I didn't, because of the A, the angle you're at at Molyneux along the side, it sort of looked like, because it was so far out. And he tried, he tried it about 10 minutes before when he tried to catch Jose Sar out as near post. It just didn't go right at all. It went, went wide. Mm. It wasn't, wasn't great. But, when it went in, you sort of went, what's just happened there? Has it been, that's been deflected or what's, what's happened? And then I had sort of messages coming through saying, oh my God, what has he just done? I think some words to that effect, really. And it's just, a, it's just ridiculous. I mean, the power he gets from it, the swerve, and it's not a standard Wolf-Prowse free kick with all the whip. Obviously, Jose Saar probably stood in his goal thinking, oh, if he's shooting from there, he's going to try and whip it in whip it in the corner but he just goes completely against type and blasts one it's just like a, a knuckleball I'm trying to think of a free kick from that far out that I can, just, that I can compare it to maybe Ronaldo against Arsenal in the Champions League and sort of wasn't, probably wasn't quite as, as powerful and quick as that but in terms of the range it was at I can't really compare there's not really many I can compare it to no, there's one. There's one in the Bundesliga. I will need to try and dig it out, but that I feel is kind of the closest that I can think of that is from as far out. I don't know who it was from, but in terms of Premier League free kicks, I think you're completely right. 
And firstly, I very much appreciate you being honest about your view and what you thought happened. <laughs> Uh, it takes a, a big man to do that, Sam. But I think when I first saw it, I sort of thought the same. I actually thought, because the ball moves almost as soon as it gets past the wall. <laughs> so you think, actually, you're completely right. You think maybe it has taken a nick, but the angles I've seen it at, just just unreal. And he, I think he touched on the fact he was playing, messing around midweek with some free kicks from further out. And it's just not his normal technique and be, to be able to do that with such power, it just absolutely flies. And yeah, I mean, Jose Sarr is obviously kind of sizing up the free kick as he's taking it in the area, pretty much near where the ball goes in. And for him to get so much power and venom and for it to be basically unsavable from that far out, I don't really think I've seen a free kick like it. I'm trying to think of great Premier League free kicks. Obviously, the Ronaldo Portsmouth one, um, yeah. you know, springs to mind. I think there's a Dimitri Payet one where it's, it's it sort palace. of looks like it's, yeah, is that the one where it looks like it's going over and then just dips in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's just, I mean, there's obviously many great Premier League free kicks, but you've got to you've got to add it to at least the top five in my opinion and, and maybe we'll, we'll get kind of some sort of compilation over the coming week after what he's just done but again he's reaching new levels it feels like not just in his game but now with his set pieces which felt like it was unachievable given how how much of a kind of expert he was already yeah I mean in terms of great probably free kicks I mean those two are exactly the ones I said earlier to some people at work I was just like trying to compare it to that in terms of was, I'm not saying in terms, in terms of quality, obviously there's been amazing, loads of amazing free kicks, but, but a lot of them sort of look the same, look like they've just been whipped in. Just, but in terms of different, a different sort of style of free kick or something you haven't seen before, the Pyatt one, the Ronaldo one, obviously there's tons of David Beckham ones, I mean, 18 of them <laughs> in the Premier League, <laughs> as we know. Um, yeah, it's just, I can't really, I mean, it's going to be replayed for years, isn't it? That free kick. I know it's yeah. a shame it wasn't in a, in a winning or at least a drawing calls, but it was just ridiculous. I mean, he's genuinely the best, as, as it stands, it's mad that he plays at Southampton and he's genuinely the best free kick taker in the world at the moment, which is crazy to say. Yeah. No, he, he is. And I don't know, you touch on the fact it's a consolation goal, but I think without that happening yesterday, we're probably a little bit more um, kind of downbeat coming on here to talk about Saints in the games like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, you see the kind of whole footballing world united behind one of our players being the best at something, anything. Like it, it, it is quite nice. And yeah, I think that that goal will be replayed for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess you, you touched on it, but it begs the question, do you think he can overtake Beck? Like, I, I, I think he can. I, I, like the rate he's going at, you know, you, you probably easily can, can see him scoring maybe two more this season. What is that, 14 with four more to go? And in, in you think about what will probably be another six, seven years he'll be playing at the top level? Yeah, I think he will go past him. I've not, I've not looked into it. I'd, like, I'd love to see what the sort of... The, the hit rate in terms of back in the wall crowds is fixed. Yeah. I know it took him took him a while, I think, when he first, because his first one was against West Brom, which he'd been in the Premier League for a few years then. Obviously, I think it, it took him a while to sort of get on free kicks. Obviously, he had Lambert in the team and it took him a while to, to suddenly become the go-to guy for our set piece. And, um, yeah, I don't see why he can't go past um, Beckham and hopefully it's with us. Yeah. Well, we didn't touch on this in the uh, transfer window segment, but as we came on, I saw some news kind of circulating that I think it's Chelsea, United and Spurs are, are eyeing him up um, right now. But I don't know, there, there just seems to be that that growing bond that, that was always there, but feels like at a kind of all-time high right now between the fans, the club and him. So fingers crossed it is with him. But yeah, I can easily see him breaking Beck's record, which is kind of an incredible feat because I think you always think of free kick specialists throughout the game, but then you look at the raw numbers and no one really scores that many, <laughs> you know, looking at, at the list, there were some names that uh, surprised me. I think Seb Larson's on it, Laurent Robert, 
you know, but but JWP, yeah, will will kind of firmly cement second place. But I think he'll, he'll overtake Bex, and kind of rightly so. I think Thomas Frank commented on, uh, you you are so concerned to give fouls away against this Southampton team because of James Will Prowse, and actually, you know, that territory or you, we've got a kind of free kick in JWP zone is growing. I think his last two free kicks are from pretty far out. And I think Tom Leach did something quite interesting today on Twitter around the kind of map of all of his free kicks. And this one was his furthest out and the most different of them all. But it's a really broad spectrum of areas that he can score from. I think his best two have probably both been in losing games. I think his best one, his best yesterday, yesterday I think he's his best free kick. And other than that, Probably the one at Newcastle last season, which was really, was really. I remember, I remember thinking when he stepped up to it, that's too far out. And yeah, I remember, I remember one at Old Trafford as well, which is very impressive. I mean, I'm not going to go through all twelve, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was an. It's a moment I sort of wish I'd noticed how good it was at the time, but there we go. Yeah, fair. As I said, Sam, I'm, uh, yeah, I've got more respect for you for saying that than lying through your teeth that you knew how good it was at the time. <laughs> we, uh, I think we quite rightly spent as long as we did on the free kick, but we have spent long enough talking to one another about Saints. We face the champion city uh, on Saturday. We will unlikely be potting directly after that game, but we will be potting in two weeks' time very quick score prediction for Saturday before we wrap up Sam I'm going to say we're going to get fresh because we I said I predicted that last time we played them and we drew nil nil so <laughs> need to get Dean Hammond on for a positive prediction yeah could you call him up I can yeah uh, yeah give him a shout <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll sort of edit in maybe I could edit in what he said last time yeah into yeah this bit as if he's with us um yeah, fine. You know what? I was reflecting on the when we lost 1-0 last season at home. We were in a really good vein of form at that time. City were kind of just getting going. We were really good. I thought we were really unlucky to kind of lose that game. Um, it was a KDB goal, wasn't it? I think we'll lose. Uh, I'm going 2-0 City. Just the control they have right now is, is unreal. And unfortunately for the Premier League, the title race is beyond over it seems so yeah I think they'll continue with their unreal run with a 2-0 win um, Samuel it's been an absolute pleasure to talk through a lot and as I kind of said to you beforehand it would be a bumper pod to kick off the year we've gone through the Christmas period take over our most recent games but I feel like there's a, a nice kind of atmosphere around Saints right now fingers crossed we get over this tougher run with not too many embarrassing results I think we've got what is it City Spurs then United or or United then Spurs? Uh, City Spurs and United, yeah. Unless there's any 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 rearranged games in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, fine. All right. Well, we will um, kind of look back on some of those fixtures next time we meet. But listeners, thanks for staying the course, and I look forward to uh, to speaking soon, Sam. Oh, cheers.